Welcome to another edition of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set records. And then, as we always do, we break those records. My name is Jody Jenkins. And my name is Tony Clement. And, Tony, we are pumped for another episode. The feedback we've been getting the last couple weeks has been off the charts, specifically with two of our most recent guests, one being Danielle Smith and the other being Ed the Sock. In fact, so much so that I put out on social media to our followers, like, who should we have as our next guest? I was giving them some options, and I said, another sock puppet? Should we have a liberal? And then someone actually chimed in and said, well, isn't a a puppet and a liberal kind of the same thing? That's right. Whoa, I was like, hey, (laughs) that's uh, that's a little bit partisan for us. But anyway, uh, we're excited about what's going on with the show, and I know that uh, you've lined up another... Uh, excellent guest for today. But first, as we always do, we got to thank our sponsors. But quickly. first, do, do you still have the stats in front of you from some of those countries that are? Oh, listening? yeah. You're obsessed with this. I'm obsessed with this. Yeah. I, I, I just hope people don't get too bored with this. So Tony well, just, has me. Just lo- a few. Yeah. Tony has me looking up who is listening to our program and where. And obviously, I don't think it's any surprise. The majority of our listeners are in Canada. But after that, a very large chunk in the United States, uh, mostly focused in Colombia. Or Columbus, 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 Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. My apologies. Sorry. Uh, Belgium is right up there. Germany, the UK. Uh, We saw a massive bump in the Republic of Korea. Uh, I have no idea what's going on there. Bahamas, Croatia, Mexico. So it's uh, we're growing. And I, I think actually since the last time we checked global stats, we've seen some new new countries come on board, even some stuff in India. So, Well, welcome to our international listeners. It's great to have you aboard. Yes, and don't forget you can uh, email us anytime by going to our website and anotherthingpodcast.ca. So um, sponsorship side of things, John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions continuing to be the presenting sponsor of uh, of this program. We are so appreciative of them. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And I know, Tony, you've got some... Uh, more info on that, and then some of our other great sponsors as well. Absolutely, Thingalonians. Well, of course, John Mutton was very excited last week when Ed the Sock uh, uh, welcomed him and Anna to their wedding nuptials. Yeah. He congratulated them. So, is he going to invite Ed the Sock to his wedding? I think he might actually. <laughs> so, yeah, and he won't invite us though. Well, I well that goes without saying, but uh, I think Ed has uh, scored an invite just by yeah. doing the shout out there. Wow. But in the meantime, John and the gang are very busy at MunicipalSolutions.ca for their development services and project management. Uh, That means development approval, uh, permit expediting, planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services. If you need a minor variance or a land severance, Municipal Solutions are your people. And also for building permits, go to municipalsolutions.ca. They are our presenting sponsor, have been for a while now, and we thank them for it. Then there's Chris Moffat Arms and the gang at Polytrack. Polytrack offers government relations pros a secure hub to store their advocacy data. This includes stakeholder contact details, engagement reports, and key messages. Uh, it means advocacy data at your fingertips, which means less compliance and reporting time, which also means you can then spend your time growing your business. Visit polytrackwithaq.com and mention and another thing podcast when you sign up and you receive their white glove onboarding service free, 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 including tutorial and Q&A for your team. So all you GR pros out there, check out polytrack 
com. And then finally, last but not the least, the, the gang at Think Data Works. Uh, that is at thinkdataworks.com, Twitter at thinkdataworks, and Instagram at thinkdatahumans. And uh, the age-old question, Jody, how confident are you in your organization's data governance? Because over $350 million in fines due to a lack of legal basis for data processing and security uh, has been wrought on some companies. And of course, Think Data Works has the technology to help build collaborative and compliant data workflows. You get better return on your investment, faster time to insights, and an easier way to discover govern and modernize your data. It is a curated catalog of data and it will get you multiples of business values. So save yourself from fines and use data better, increase your consumer trust and increase your outcomes. Thinkdataworks.com. There we go. And are we working on some new sponsors? Are we allowed to tease anything? Are you got well, some big yes, stuff in the pipeline? Well, yes, I think we've got. I think we've got a new sponsor. He's uh, uh, he's in, for the month of May. I know we're into May already, but uh, I think he's going to come on board. So uh, another tech company. So we're. Uh, I'm quite excited about that. That's good because uh, I didn't want to have to sell the Jag just yet. Because <laughs> yeah. Things, you know, things took off so quickly, and uh, I put that thing in the garage, and it looks good there. So I, th- I don't want to get rid of it. I think we'll be able to get at least get some oil for your Jag. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, maybe and maybe I can get a Tesla next. So yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get on to our guest. And I know that uh, you've got a great intro planned, and we'll uh, we'll get it underway. Yes, it is. Uh, and another thing, podcast. Great pleasure to welcome the Honorable Lisa Rate. She was born in Sydney, Nova Scotia, where she is at right now. We'll check in with her on that. She is, of course, a former deputy leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. She was the member of Parliament for Halton and then Milton from 2008 to 2019. Under the Stephen Harper government, she was Minister of Natural Resources, Minister of Labor and Minister of Transport. And she is currently the Vice Chair of Global Investment Banking for CIBC, and she has gained many plaudits for speaking candidly uh, about the challenges of her husband, uh, uh, who is facing uh, an ongoing battle with early-onset dementia. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lisa Raitt. All right, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. (laughs) Thank you, Jody. Great to be here. It's great to check in with you. So you are in Nova Scotia, uh, I guess, quarantining. So tell us a little bit about what, what it's like in Nova Scotia these days. Well, it's a lot like it is in Ontario, to be honest. So I made a decision um, with Bruce's caregivers back in March that if there was going to be a period of time that I could go back to Cape Breton and see my family and attend to some small affairs that I have here, uh, that the timing would be in April slash May, just the way that his care is um, is working. Because we really want to be able to transfer Bruce out of a hospital setting that he's in right now into a long-term care facility. And once he goes to long-term care, I want to be within, you know, minutes of being able to get to, to the place because it's going to be new for him and, and I want to be on the ground. Uh, at the hospital, I have great comfort with his care level and, and he's comfortable there. He knows what's going on. So we opted to book myself, Billy and I, for middle of April and going into the middle of May and then boom, um, the case has exploded here in Nova Scotia. So I'm in, I'm at the very end of my 14 day uh, quarantine, which has been going just fine. Thank goodness. I have family who will deliver groceries on my doorstep. And then um, we go, we then go into the provincial lockdown, which is going to extend another week after that. But Hey, you know, I can still get a lot of work done 
from my countertop here in Cape Breton, and I get to look out at the Bredore Lake. So it's not a bad thing. It's not bad. But I mean, I, I'd love to, obviously you're in quarantine, so it's hard. But uh, in Ontario, as you know, people are getting <laughs> very fed up with all of the, the lockdown uh, and uh, the whole the whole situation. Are you, are you finding, I mean, Nova Scotians are a little bit more laid back than Ontarians, I'd have to say. Is, is it a little bit more laid back there? No, 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 no. And in fact, it's it's wow. very interesting what happened. So here's the deal. Um, Cape Breton and Nova Scotia were enjoying a pretty COVID-free existence, and they were opening up far further. They were planning on having the East Coast Music Awards in person, live, wow. in a hockey oh, wow. rink with people attending on May 6th. I mean, they were on the road to uh, recovery of the economy, people sitting in restaurants. They were enjoying life. Kids were playing sports again. They were in school. They had never had a school lock down in since last September. And then somebody came from away, come from away and mm. didn't isolate when they should have isolated. And now I think we've got 500, 600 cases in the province. So Cape Bretoners um, reacted very indignantly. How dare you not ab- abide by the rules when you came here? to the, the unknown individual who mm-hmm. didn't do the quarantine. And then we got into a situation in Halifax with community spread. Luckily, Cape Breton doesn't have community spread. But you know what did happen, Tony? Mm-hmm. The lineups that we see in Ontario for vaccines are the lineups you see in Nova Scotia for testing. Rapid testing works here. Yeah, so really. I think eh? like... 15,000 people showed up to be tested just to make sure that they could stamp out community spread. And I think they've done it. Well, you know, uh, a, a rapid testing should have been the solution months ago in Ontario. Unfortunately, we we didn't get around to having a successful scheme on that. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it just goes to show that uh, when you have community spirit, uh, it makes a big difference. So I'm glad mm-hmm. to hear that Nova Scotians are taking their future into their own hands there. Uh, yep. While you've been away, uh, <laughs> you mean, I think you know about this, but there's a little bit of a controversy in Milton with the uh, yeah. the Electoral District Association board and uh, you are no longer on the board uh, and it's become a, a media item. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on that uh, at the get go. Well, you were kind enough to reach out to me after the story broke. Funny thing is, this happened the first weekend in April. Like, for me, this happened already a long time ago. It's just now getting some media attention. I guess somebody in the community thought it was worthy to talk to a reporter about. But nonetheless, it's, for the record, it's it's the fact of what happened. And... Um, you, Tony, you've been around a long time. Jody, I know that you have political experience too. Look, when a candidate comes into a riding, they like to have the people that they want around them on their board. Um, how you do that, though, is is a matter of personal choice. In my case, in 08, we didn't do a complete flip of the board. I worked with the board members that were there, and, and over time, we developed a board relationship. In the case of the new candidate, he decided he wanted to bring in as many of his people in one fell swoop, and that included me. And, uh, you know, that's just the the way it is. I did give him advice before it happened that it would attract attention just because I am a known personality. Um, and they they assessed that risk and, and went ahead and, and did what they wanted to do. But it was just it was tough because, honestly, if if he had come to me and said, look, I want to put all my people on the board, would you step back? I wouldn't have put my name in for reelection. Mm hmm. 
Well, having said that, uh, I'd love to get Lisa Raitt's view of federal politics now, uh, and I'm just going to leave it completely open-ended. Tell us what you're thinking. Tell us about the prospects of the Conservative Party, the prospects of Justin Trudeau. What, what do you see happening out there? Well, I can tell you, and you know what it's like now, uh, or you knew what it was like before me, stepping out of the bubble and seeing what normal Canadians talk about is a bit of a revelation, I have to say. Yes. And it, what we think is important, like for us, Tony, when we sat in cabinet, budget day was like Christmas morning, right? You rush into the room, open the book, see what you got kind of thing. You know, the Sears catalog kind of approach. In in the case of normal life, people really don't care. And that was the biggest shock for me, the the massive and, and such widespread spend in this budget. And Canadians collectively shrugged their shoulders and went, meh, yeah, okay interesting like it didn't move the liberal numbers that i can see it didn't um it didn't foster any great amounts of of love for the liberal party and that's it's an awful lot of money to spend to not get any kind of bump and in fact some of the negative stuff is starting to come out on the budget in terms of was the spending appropriate in certain areas so that to me was a surprise um because i thought for sure that they were putting together the budget that was going to bring them into a general and then move on the other surprise is canadians really truly do not want an election they are very much in tune on that all they care about and are preoccupied with is pandemic and that's just going to escalate july 1st new york city is open a lot of canadians are wanting are going to want to go to new york city And they're not going to be allowed to. And it's going to be this case where Canadians aren't allowed to do things because of our step of where we are in either vaccines one, vaccine two, or in wave three, or I don't know, somebody's talking about possibility of wave four, which, you know, puts a chill down my spine. So that would be the, the, those are the the takeaways on politics from me. Um, the other thing is, I, I believe that Canadians don't like any politician right now. Mm-hmm. None of us. Yeah. Uh, us being former. Yes. And none, of, none of them. None of them. <laughs> none of them. Um, they really don't like them. And is, uh, that, is that is that hitting at Aaron O'Toole? Like the some of the challenges he's had and in, in the in some of the feedback he's getting is it's just uh, it's just being an opposition politician. It's not it's not working right now. I think it's government politicians. I think it's opposition politicians. I just think that there's not a lot of love for elected officials at the moment. Um, and I think it's beginning to show in people's popularity across the country. There's fatigue. There's fatigue of COVID, and then there's fatigue of of um, our elected officials trying to solve the problem and fighting about it as, as they do so. And it's... Um, I think the last politician who probably is going to enjoy great popularity is the one who just knew to pull the plug and retire, and that's Stephen McNeil in Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah, so he's he's, uh, leaving at the right time then, eh? He is. He he really did. He called his shot. He left at the right time. There's a new premier in place dealing with third wave, and and he's getting a rough go. He's getting a rough go for sure. So I think um, politics-wise, Canadians do not want an election. I mean, Jagmeet Singh is right. Canadians don't want an election. And anyone who decides that they're going to force people to vote on any issues at this point in time, I think is being a little bit foolish. And on the conservative point of view to Tony, I would say this, that because of people's reactions to all politicians, I don't think it's just about Aaron O'Toole. I think there's lots of time for the Conservative Party 
to to have a narrative that's going to work for them. Loads oh, and as I've always said, campaigns matter. They do, 100%. There's lots of time. It's funny, uh, just, to, uh, just to tie off that topic, but I, I'm i old enough to remember 1987 in Ontario when Premier David Peterson, uh, actually 1990, uh, David Peterson pulled the plug early on his own mandate. He had a massive majority in the 1987 election, just, uh, somehow was convinced that it was uh, right to go early into an election in 1990, and it was the worst mistake of his life. Uh, Bob Ray was elected Premier. Uh, representing the NDP, and it was just downhill. He started the election, and everybody was just so pissed off that he he wanted another mandate when he had a massive majority in the Ontario legislature, and there was no reason for the election except you know he just wanted to have another election, and he paid it. He paid the ultimate political price for it. So Justin Trudeau's got to be careful. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying it'll be as deadly for him, but it could be. And and uh, I think one thing that Justin Trudeau does know is that is what I just said. Campaigns matter and you, you can never predict what's going to happen. And it could go well for you that way, or it could go very, very poorly for you that way. So, uh, uh, you know, the dictum that uh, Stephen Harper ha- had when he was prime minister, you know, every day that I'm prime minister, I'm still prime minister. <laughs> so, you know, that, yeah, that was, so he, he was, he, he never wanted to push the envelope on, on being too smart by a half when it comes to election timing. So, uh, we've talked about that. Um, I want you to talk a little bit, and I'll, then I'll give Jamie a shot. But uh, I, about women in politics, because I know that's something that you care, you know, passionately about. Uh, is it getting better? Uh, are there things that are happening that make it easier for women to be in politics? Do you think? We, well, I'll be a little philosophical. We may have broken through in terms of our ability to garner nominations and eventually win campaigns and get into cabinet, but the wielding of power is a very different prospect. And I would point to what's happening with the Canadian Armed Forces right now and um, the treatment that the complainants are receiving from this government, which I think is abhorrent, and the lack of of voices on... on uh, on speaking up and speaking out on the issue. So you get elected, you get the power, and then you're neutered and you really can't do anything because you're still hemmed in by the partisan side of your world. And, you know, just point to Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott on that, right? The minute that mm-hmm. they spoke up on a nonpartisan, sorry, outside of their political ideology is, is when they were deemed not to be part of the group anymore and summarily dismissed from cabinet essentially and then caucus so that to me means that we're not making the changes i think the hollowest phraseology in politics right now is um add women change politics because uh, they certainly haven't changed anything for the women in the canadian forces Hmm. jody you called me Jamie earlier, by the way. Did I really? I did? Yeah, you did. You did. Oh, I was okay. going to, no, not you. I'm talking about Tony. Tony yeah. called me Jamie. I was going to, I've been stewing over that for the last hour. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> uh, Lisa, I want to go back to Nova Scotia. My Mine's just a really softball question because we had friends in Glace Bay. And yeah. um, every time I went there, all I can remember as a kid was we always seemed to end up at a restaurant eating corned beef and cabbage. So why is that like a huge thing down there or something? It's called boiled dinner, my friend, and it is a big okay. thing, and, and now I'm craving it. So a pox on you, Jody Jenkins. I can't get it because I'm in lockdown, 
but yeah, boiled dinner or jigs dinner, it's a big deal. And I don't know, I think we remember it as being better than it was, but uh, I could go for a feed of that right now. So thanks. Yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> honestly, that sticks out of my mind going to these, these little diners or restaurants. Yep. And that's like always what was put in front. I'm just like, I'm not a huge cabbage fan, uh, corned beef. Absolutely. So I, yep. I, I'll eat that all day, every day, you but that's probably that's went to the Bonnie Prince. May I honestly, I've never so long ago. I was so long, but I, yeah, we had good friends that lived in Glace Bay and a beautiful, awesome. beautiful part of the world though, or the country yeah. too. Well, what I miss, uh, since we're talking about this, is going to the uh, annual general meeting of the Nova Scotia Progressive Conservative Party yeah. and the, with my guitar and yeah. uh, just spending all night nice. uh, all night jamming with some guys playing some great uh, traditional songs, some folk songs, some pop songs, and, uh, you know, people dancing, people drinking. Uh, it, it's, it, it's something I've done, I guess, maybe four times. And I really want to do that again. So I hope uh, we'll have the opportunity to convene uh, the Nova Scotia PCs. And uh, I guess that happens every February. So um, get my fingers crossed for that, right? Yeah, next year for sure. And and Tony, you were always, I, I told you this a long time ago, you were very well liked here in Cape Breton. And you came down to Cape Breton, actually. I did. You and I had dinner at Governor's and we chatted and yep. It was, uh, it's, it's a lovely part of the world for sure. It's a lovely part of the world. Have you ever played the course there, Jamie? Uh, Jamie? Wow. Jamie? <laughs> What's going on? I don't know. Now, this will be our last episode. Yeah, uh, that's it's right. Been a, uh, it's been we a had good a good run. run. Yeah. Uh, I'm not John, gonna... Johnny, uh, answer the question. Johnny. <laughs> well, Tim, I, uh, <laughs> have you played um, that course? What's that? Have you played the Cape Breton Lynx, I think it's called? No, no. There's Isn't there one? Like, I, I mean, Lisa probably knows more about this than I do, but I know the Cabot. There's Cabot, Cabot. Lynx. Cabot yeah. Lynx, Cabot Cliffs. And yeah. then... Uh, Island Lynx. Is, yeah, there's like, there's so many beautiful courses down there, but the, the short answer is no, I have not played. I haven't played any golf down east, actually. And like, you look at, where's Fox Harbor? Is that... That's uh, down. That's in that on area the as well. Northumberland coast in Nova Scotia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Close. So there you go. And then Dunderave, which I believe is PEI. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's lots of great golf courses down there. But have you have you not played there, Tony? Or I haven't. I had an invitation when I was an MP, and I I thought you know I'll, I'll get to it. And then of yeah. course I'm no longer an MP, so I I don't know whether I can take well, them up on it. But you uh, can. Oh, you can come golf with me there for sure. When we're well, you're allowed to golf. It's just the weather doesn't cooperate with you right now. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, at least you're allowed to golf because we know in yes. Ontario we're the only jurisdiction in the world where you're not. So, uh, not that not that we're bitter about that, but we are. So, uh, so. Jody, I'm going to ask the next que- question, Jody, if that's okay. Sure. Yes. Jody? Please do. Yeah. Please um, do. Lisa, what, I, I ask this a question a lot, and um, it, it usually elicits some interesting answers, but I will ask you as well. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, boy. Um, I would tell myself to not be in a rush. Mm. Not be in a rush. So I thought I spent 10, like a lot of us, I spent 10 years out of high school going to university. Like, and I didn't really live life. So you walk out in your 30s and then you kind of want to go, okay, now I got to get married and now I got to have kids. And I kind of just like sprinted through my 20s and my 30s into my 40s. And now as I give advice to my kids, I say to them, you want to take a year off after grade 12? Sure. Go ahead. Mm. You know, take your time. It's going to be there for you. There's not a big rush. But I also know, Tony, to be honest, 
But the reason why I can give that advice now is because I, I speak from a, a point of privilege and my kids do not have to do what I did, which is create a, a safety net for myself early on because my family didn't have means. And I was expected to go out and make money for the family as opposed to the family being there for me as, as the younger person. I'm going to be there for my kids. I've been successful. So my kids get to have that kind of time to you know, take a breath kind of thing. Um, so if I were giving advice to myself uh, it, where I have to hustle, um, I would say still uh, keep your eye on the prize and it does work out. Just work, 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 work hard. Well, I think that that is equal to the advice that Vic Fideli gave to that question, Jody, when he said, buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was his answer. Seriously, that was his yeah. answer. Right there. Did he? <laughs> Well, now, yeah. now it's time for the Jody Jenkins question. Yeah, we're going to ask this question because we always, well, we, we don't ask it every week, but I thought it might be appropriate in your case, and we'll see what the answer is. But Dan Albus, who you know, was on the program a long time ago, and he has a mixed martial arts background, and we started talking about uh, his experiences with that. And I, I jokingly said, hey, Dan, if you could pick someone in uh, in Parliament to roundhouse kick, who would you do? And he just quickly answered Ralph Goodale, which is comical. And so we've been asking that question. So I'm going to ask you that question, Lisa. If you could, you don't have to obviously, you can choose parliament, but if you could roundhouse kick somebody, who would it be and why? <laughs> you know, intellectually, I want to say Dominic LeBlanc because he is so good at what he does. But from a gut, it's it's got to be Trudeau. Oh, there, we go. there we go. From the gut. it go. has. Yeah. Although, I mean, Trudeau could kick my butt for sure. Well, he, he certainly knows how to use his elbows on the floor of uh, the... the... <laughs> oh, hell. But he didn't... Who did he box? He boxed... Uh, was it Brazo? Brazo. And Brazo. He, he beat him pretty oh, handily, he, didn't he? Oh, it was not even close. Yeah. yeah I, and I, I had that one completely wrong because I actually thought that Brazo would win, but... No, and, and Trudeau was smart about it. He he just sort of hang, hung back in that fight. Yes. And Brazo expended all sorts of kinetic energy and then was too tired to defend too himself. Tired. Yeah, Jeez, yeah. Well, there you go. A little bit of a lesson there. For- <laughs> oh, I hope that's not campaign advice, too. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. No, no. So I do want to ask Lisa, though, uh, you know, obviously we, we spent years together in the Harper cabinet, and um, I, I, I just... Just recollect, is there a story you want to tell, a funny story, a crazy story, something uh, that people wouldn't expect out of Stephen Harper or the general experience of being in cabinet? Uh, I'm giving you a carte blanche here. What, what do you want to recollect? Oh, my. I've got so much. Well, let me give you my perspective. And when I joined cabinet in 08, I was like a fangirl of all you guys. I mean, it was you and Baird and Jim Flaherty and Jim Prentice and Stock Day. And I'm suddenly I'm sitting in a room with all of you. And that was that was a complete upending because for a lot of folks who are political wannabes, you kind of watch a lot of question period and you watch a lot of media before you decide to run. So you you know, cabinet ministers become a bit of your stars. And here I am sitting amongst the stars in the room. And I was surprised just how uh, how normal. But I also tell you, the biggest surprise for me, Tony, is that it's not all come by uh, within that cabinet room at all. People nope. have... People have a lot of, although we all seem to be happy on the outside, there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of old old wounds, let me put it that way, in that cabinet room from fights that happened 20 years ago and that are still being at play. 
Well, uh, we won't <laughs> delve too far into that, but is I that think you're right. is that fair? Is that yeah, fair? I think that's fair. Uh, I, you know, and uh, it's funny you mentioned that because Jim Flaherty and I had uh, a real up and down relationship over the years, and uh, we ran against each other for the provincial leadership in 2002, uh, and uh, he came in second, and I came in third. And there was some bad blood on that. And then, of course, when his wife started to run for for leader of the Ontario PCs later on, and John Baird and I didn't supported Tim Hudak rather than his wife, he didn't like that too much either. But at the end of at the end of his life, uh, tragically, uh, I, I feel that you know we he and I had come to terms, and especially when I when you and I, Lisa, were working on the deficit reduction action plan, and I had to deal very, very closely with the, the finance minister, Jim Flaherty, on that. Um, I, I just felt that uh, all of those past wounds had disappeared, and he was more pissed off with Jason Kenney at that point anyway. So. Yeah, that's, cool. that's I was not thinking about you, by the way, when I was talking about that. I yeah. was talking uh, a little bit about that one. That yeah, actually yeah. spilled out onto the floor of the House on, of Commons. On the floor of the House of Commons, and we had to uh, make sure that fisticuffs <laughs> within, within our two own Two Irishmen. Yeah, two Irishmen going after each other over exactly, money. Lots exactly. Lots of fun. Yeah. So those things, well, hey, we're all human, and we uh, we have a human side to our life, even if we're in the halls of power. So yeah. thanks and for Tony, sharing were you that. There, but were you there the day that the, the gunman came in? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, everything else pales. I still think about that day. Yeah, and I, I went through some PTSD. I remember I, uh, after that incident, the, the next, uh, well, over Christmas and New Year's, after after 2004, when, which is when that happened, 2014, when that happened, uh, I was in Israel with my family. We decided to spend Christmas and New Year's in, in, uh, mm-hmm. in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And um, the, I don't, these Tel Avivers, like... They, they started doing fireworks on New Year's Eve, like of all the places in the world where you don't want to see yeah. things exploding in the air, but they had fireworks going. And I, I was asleep and I woke up in a cold sweat because of the boom, boom, boom of the fireworks. And I, and I definitely attribute that to living through the, uh, the gunman. So, yeah, no, that was a pretty intense time for sure. Yeah, that would be it. That that to me is the the one thing that I remember the most out of a, out of all the good stuff. And there were some laughs, too. But usually it was just us making fun of each other. Yeah, yeah, which we, you know. And I tell the story about uh, uh, Stephen Harper expecting me at cabinet meetings whenever he'd quote a Monty Python uh, episode or movie, I had to come up with another quote because he he stared directly at me and he knew that I, I should know it. And the pressure on me, Lisa, the pressure. Jody Jenkins, you get the last word. Anything else you want to say to Lisa? Well, I don't have any more questions. Just wanted to thank her for her uh, service and uh, everything she's done. And we certainly have appreciated your time today. And you're welcome back uh, on uh, on another episode when you uh, when your schedule allows. Lots of fun though with Lisa, and obviously you can tell you guys have a good uh, good chemistry there from days days past. She's one of my favorite humans. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are some of your least favorite humans? Well, whoever this Jamie is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done with that. Okay. Uh, you can hear in the background, my kids are starting to play the piano. Okay, uh, good. You can hear that. but uh, That's awesome. One, one thing I was going to say, Tony, just because you're a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, and there's been so much talk going on the last little while about, uh, I, I know here in Ontario, I don't know what it's like around the rest of the country, but 
uh, charges and tickets being laid. Actually, there's lots of examples all over the yeah. country for the um, reopening Ontario Safely Act and reopening BC Act and all this stuff. So my question to you is, will these charges ultimately hold up in court? And I'll use the Randy Hillier example uh, as, as, as a good one here. He's, I mean, people are slamming him and I don't agree with everything he's doing, but at the end of the day, he's smart enough to know that he's got to know that these things aren't going to hold up. He wouldn't be pushing the envelope this much. Would he like from a lawyer perspective? What do you say? Well, it's, it all goes to the charter of rights and freedoms. And uh, I think uh, those people like Hillier and others are going to, Derek Sloan is another one are going to say, you know, this is in violation of section seven life, liberty and security of the person. And uh, there's also mobility rights in the charter as well. Uh, What the government is going to argue is, Section one, you know, uh, government can do stuff it's, if it's, quote, reasonably just a, a demonstrable, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, so if if they're going to go to the court and say, yeah, it is technically a violation, but we had to do this because of the context of the situation. So that's where the where the argument's going to be. Yeah. And I, I would say this, too, just quickly, and I'd love to hear feedback from our listeners as well on how society has changed and people have become emboldened. Because I'll give you a good another good example. I saw a video, uh, I won't say where it was, of uh, individuals that are, were at a park with their children, and they were filming. Two police officers came in, and the police officers were very kind. You, you guys have to leave. Like this is we're shutting down the park. You have to leave. This is the rule. The argument went on for about eleven minutes, where these individuals said, "We're not leaving. Our kids are playing. We're going to be gone in thirty minutes, but we're not leaving." And so it went back and forth. Ultimately, the police left. Mm-hmm. They left the park. And yeah. I was thinking to myself, you know, 10, 15 years ago, <laughs> there's no chance that would have happened. No. But- and, and and people uh, people talk about uh, Londoners in the UK during the Blitz when the, the bombing runs were going on by, by the Nazis. And, uh, you know, they were being bombed at, you know, night after night after night. And that actually brought everybody together. Right. You know, you're you're facing this existential threat. And everybody worked together. And and Londoners, when uh, when interviewed after the war, said that was the most amazing time of their life. When they were being bombed, yeah. they felt more sense of community uh, and sense of being a human working with other humans than, they've, than they had ever felt in their lives before. And I'm saying that because in this case, I don't think anybody's going to say that, right? I, I think there's a lot of people who are helping other people, don't get me wrong, yeah. but there's just so much dissonance out there too. Oh yeah, and I think that sentiment is growing about these rallies of, you know, you're going to stop us? Well, guess what? There's four or five more people that are saying, hey, that's not right. I'm going to the next rally. I just feel like it's growing, to be honest. It, it's, But it's still small. I, it's still I, small, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, Let's, but, it's a you know, small but, percentage of the population. But, and You know as well as I, like, we had one here in Belleville, and I told you there was 150 to 200 people, which to me is is wild. Like I would have never expected that many. But people how many people live in Belleville that. though, Jody? 50,000. Yeah. So it's yeah. still a small percentage of the population. Yeah. It's... And, uh, but I think people are getting frustrated, but they're not to the point where there's mass disobedience. Let's put it that way. No, but if you, but if you had, if you had a, a political event where 200 people showed up in Belleville, that's a massive success. True. True. So 
and you wouldn't say, oh, that's just a small, if you were a conservative, you wouldn't say, well, that's just a small piece of the population. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's a fair so, point. That's yeah, a fair so point. So it's, uh, and just for full disclosure, I was golfing that day just so I was not at the rally. So <laughs> yeah, you were golfing that way in Tilsonburg. <laughs> no, no, actually. And it's funny. So you bring that up. They're going to keep, they are going to keep playing even with the threat of a $10 million fine, apparently. Yeah, they're staying it's, open. Yeah, so again, that'll that'll wend its way through the courts uh, over time. So uh, yeah, by, the, by the way, what's our tea time there, Tony? Yeah, it's, I think we're one forty-five. Oh, one forty-five. Okay, yeah. okay. We're gonna wrap this up then. Wrap it up. All right. Well, thanks to our sponsors again, Municipal Solutions. Obviously, you can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. Yes, and Polytrack, uh, polytrack.com, and uh, many thanks to ThinkDataWorks, thinkdataworks.com. And watch for some new sponsors coming soon. As always, find them online at andanotherthingpodcast.ca. Click on the links, send us emails, listen to our older shows. We are blowing up the podcast space. Woo-hoo. I won't say I won't say which, I actually will not say the name of this uh, podcast, but they have on their website that they're the number one Canadian political podcast in Canada. Come on. Yes. So we got we got work to do. Well, I think that uh, we are knocking it out of the park. And I, I love the way that we're eclectic, right? We're, yes. we're, it's not just the rinse and repeat stuff, Jody uh, or Jamie or whatever you go by now. Uh, <laughs> but no, on all seriousness, we, we pride ourselves on, on being a little bit out of the box and having a variety of guests. And we're going to continue to do that. And if, if, hey, anybody listening has any suggestions for us, well, by all means. Yeah, it's funny because just last thing I was say, just talking about the show, sorry for yawning there, um, there's charts online that you can check. And we at one point, two times actually, we've been on the charts for Canadian podcasts in the arts category, yeah. which is interesting. We've never been on a political one. Um, so it just makes me wonder, I, I, gotta, I should go back and look at some of the wording and how I'm sure it has a the descriptions that are online for us maybe play a role in that and some keywords, but it, it it goes to what you're saying about being eclectic because when I saw that we were charting in the arts category, I was like, well, I, I would have never thought that. So it's just interesting. Well, we're going to continue to get, deliver a quality product to our listeners. I can. We're going to deliver the goods. Absolutely. Deliver the goods day in day out. All right, Tony, we will do this again in seven days. Absolutely. <laughs>